You are tuned to your community-supported radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, April 13th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. The namesake of Robinson Plaza, who presided over an epic period of change in Nevada City, has died. We remember longtime city manager Burl Robinson. News Director Claudio Mendoza talks to Dr. Roger Hicks about what's next after the closure of Ubidoc's urgent care. The California Report examines a proposal to limit the prison-to-ice pipeline. We end with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Senator Dianne Feinstein is asking to be temporarily replaced on the Senate Judiciary Committee while she continues to recover from shingles at her home in San Francisco. In a statement, Feinstein says she's asked Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to name another Democrat to take her place on the committee until she can return to Washington. The 89-year-old has come under fire in recent weeks from some fellow Democrats after missing several key votes on judicial nominees. South Bay Congressman Ro Khanna publicly called for her to resign yesterday, tweeting that it was for the good of the country. Before Senator Feinstein's statement, Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi spoke about her longtime colleague at an event in San Francisco. She deserves the respect to get well and be back uh, on duty. It's interesting to me, I don't know what political agendas are at work that are going after Senator Feinstein in that way. I've never seen them go after a man who was sick in that way. Feinstein has not said when she might be back to the nation's capital. Six states, including California and the District of Columbia, have reached a $462 million deal with Juul to settle multiple lawsuits. California will get nearly $176 million in the deal after alleging that the electronic cigarette company illegally targeted young people through its marketing campaigns. State Attorney General Rob Bonta says Juul knowingly sent online promotions to underage users and warned that a similar fate awaits other companies that do the same. Juul reignited an epidemic of youth nicotine use. It was under control until Juul re-sparked it. They didn't just take a page out of Big Tobacco's playbook. They took the whole thing. Bonta said California's share of the funds will go toward e-cigarette research, education and enforcement. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. The James Irvine Foundation, accepting nominations now for the 2024 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at IrvineAwards.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health, on the web at 11thHourRacing.org. California prides itself on welcoming and including immigrants. The state is often at odds with the federal government over immigration enforcement. But there are some exceptions. And a big one is that when the state prison system is releasing someone who's not a citizen— they're allowed to turn them over to U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. And they routinely do. 
Joining me now to talk about a bill that would limit those prison-to-ice transfers is KQED's senior immigration editor, Taiki Hendricks. Hey, Taiki. Hey, Madi. So this isn't the first time legislators have tried to pass a bill that would prevent transfers to ICE, right? That's right. Last year, there was a bill called the Vision Act that would have barred all prison-to-ICE transfers. Um, This is something that states like... uh, Illinois, Oregon, and actually Washington, D.C. have done, but it it did come up short in California. Okay, so we know that that didn't work. What's different this year? So this year, Assemblymember Wendy Carrillo and advocates uh, have taken a much more narrow approach. California recently has passed a range of criminal justice reforms that have had broad support in the legislature, have been approved by the governor, um, but they don't benefit immigrants because ICE routinely picks them up. And so this new bill called the HOME Act would focus in on stopping the prison to ICE transfers of non-citizens who've been released under those criminal justice reforms. Here's how Assemblymember Carrillo puts it. Immigrant communities are subjected to outrageous and unjust double standards who, after having served their time and paid their debt to society, are denied the right to go home, restart their lives, and be with their families. So you've done some extensive reporting on the disconnect between the state and the federal government over immigration enforcement. Where does that disconnect lie? So there are new laws reducing sentences that are letting people out early, but um, the federal immigration system says that immigrants and even legal ones are deportable if they have a so-called aggravated felony, which includes a lot of crimes, including misdemeanors. So in reporting on this, I profiled a woman who'd lived through this. Her name is Sandra Castañeda, and she actually was uh, convicted of second-degree murder And given a sentence of 40 years to life, she was driving a van as a 20-year-old, and one of her passengers fired out the window and killed someone. Uh, Everyone ran away. She was the only person arrested. She was given the murder conviction. But then a few years ago, California overhauled what was called the felony murder rule. The new law said if you had been present at a murder, and but you weren't the killer, then you couldn't be convicted of murder. And so Sandra's um, sentence was, well, she was resentenced and released in 2021. But then because she was a, a permanent resident, not a citizen, she was turned over to ICE And she is out now, but she's still fighting deportation. And she actually went to Sacramento this week to testify for the HOME Act. And here's what she said about her experience uh, when she was speaking at a rally before the hearing. But instead of coming home, they gave me two eyes. I was put in a plane and sent to Lumpkin, Georgia, where I stayed there for a year and six days, not knowing what was going to happen to me. So if this bill had been law, Sandra wouldn't have been turned over to ICE when released? That's right. I mean, ICE could have tracked her down at home in Los Angeles if they really thought she was a danger to society. Um, But she wouldn't be automatically transferred from prison the way she was. This HOME Act is kind of a way that Carrillo and advocates are saying California should protect immigrants here and not participate in that detention and deportation system. And so what are the prospects for this bill? Well, it has a lot of support from the immigrant rights community, um, but it's unclear, you know, if it does get through the state legislature uh, and to the governor's desk, what he would do with it. So it's something I'm going to keep watching over the coming months.
Thank you so much for your reporting, Taiki. It's always a pleasure, Madi. Thank you. And that's the California Report for Thursday, April 13th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, Burl Robinson, a native of Nevada City who served as its city manager for 37 years, died Wednesday morning, according to reporting from the Union newspaper of Grass Valley. Family member Michael Roberts told the union that Robinson passed away in his Nevada City home. He was 87. Robinson Plaza in downtown Nevada City is named for Burl P. Robinson, Jr. On July 1, 1999, he became the longest-serving city manager in California history. When he retired in 2002, Robinson estimated he had served under 15 mayors. According to a May 2002 story in the Union, Robinson left Nevada City only to attend UC Berkeley, where he received a bachelor's degree in business administration in 1957. He returned home to run the family business, a Richfield gas station that was leveled during construction of the Golden Center Freeway in the 1960s. Robinson was selected as city manager in 1965 after a short stint on the city council. When Robinson became city manager, Nevada City's economy was struggling, its industry was dying, and some storefronts were boarded up. As recounted in the 2002 Union story, visionaries in 1968 drafted a controversial historical ordinance to protect downtown buildings from destruction. At the time, Robinson had said, opponents called the ordinance hysterical, not historical. The ordinance is now widely credited for spurring the city's tourism industry and saving it from oblivion. Robinson also was credited with completing a series of public works projects, including the metered parking lot on Commercial Street, the rebuilt bridge on South Pine Street, the Railroad Museum, and renovation of City Hall. Robinson's love for Nevada City, his ability to run the city on a small budget, and his people skills were considered among his legacies as city manager. This afternoon, police from across the Sacramento region were searching for a Bay Area man who allegedly carried out shootings in Roseville and Citrus Heights before making a credible threat to shoot at the California state capitol. That threat prompted a shutdown of the capitol this morning. Multiple law enforcement agencies told the Sacramento Bee earlier today they were looking for a Hayward man who was involved in two non-injury shootings Wednesday night and threatened violence at the Capitol building. Authorities identified 30-year-old Jackson Pinney of Hayward as the suspect in the two incidents that prompted the legislature to move or cancel several hearings and events. Police said Pinney was at large and considered armed and dangerous. The California Highway Patrol said today the Capitol remained closed to the public. Legislative officials, meanwhile, indicated that operations at the Capitol were continuing, but with increased security. And now to your regional forecast from the National Weather Service. Coming up, a string of sunny days with mild temperatures. The next chance of precipitation is late Monday. In Nevada City and Grass Valley tonight, clear with a low around 38. Friday will be sunny with a high near 62, a low of 40, and light winds. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, mostly clear with a low around 20. 
Friday will be sunny with a high near 51 and a low around 26. In Sacramento and Woodland tonight, clear with a low around 41. Friday will be sunny with a high near 71 and a low around 45. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. The community has been a bit whipsawed in the past couple of weeks when it comes to the fate of Ubidoc's urgent care. It was to be acquired by Dignity Health, then the deal fell through. This morning, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza caught up with Ubidoc's founder Roger Hicks to unpack the saga. Ubidoc's is no more. The urgent care clinic closed its doors after 23 years, and I reached out to Dr. Hicks, founder and co-owner of the clinic, and we discussed its role in the community, what urgent care is, and his future plans. In 1996, I started working at urgent care in Auburn and realized there were a lot of people coming to that urgent care from Grass Valley and Nevada City. So um, in 1999, uh, Linda and I started the process of opening Ubidox, and we opened in August of 2000. Before we get to the closure of Ubidox, were you planning on retiring, or what precipitated the decision to take uh, sort of a, a step back from Ubidox? Well, yeah, we're of retirement age, and the practice of medicine has gotten more uh, administratively complicated and burdensome over the years. There's now so many compliance requirements. Dealing with insurance companies is uh, more difficult than it ever has been. And, um, you know, the administrative burden is just immense. It was made worse by COVID, but I still was planning on um, being the medical director at Ubidox for Dignity Health Medical Foundation and, you know, working for a while longer as a physician. But it was, it was basically the administrative burden. I would like you to explain to me the role that urgent care clinics play in healthcare. Tell me about how urgent care works and where it fits in the grand scheme. I'd love to tell you that. Thanks for asking that. Um, urgent care is for medical problems that need to be taken care of right away, but don't require uh, all the services available at an emergency department. In other words, if you, a cut finger, you know, a sprained or broken ankle it needs to be taken care of right away, but you don't need an ambulance, um, that's what urgent cares are for. A full-service urgent care has x-ray on site, so if you've, you know, fallen, injure your wrist, we can x-ray it right then. You don't have to go anywhere. Uh, and they also do occupational medicine, which includes um, workers' compensation injuries, uh, employment physicals, DOT physicals for commercial drivers, and that kind of thing. When we first opened Ubidox, nobody in the area knew what urgent care was. And um, honestly, the local physicians felt threatened because they thought we were going to steal their patients, and the emergency department felt threatened because for the same reason. But over the years, um, the emergency department has come to really appreciate us and we we have worked closely together because you know several times a week we send people to the emergency department by ambulance 
or by private car for problems that are above the the range of services that we can offer. So we have we have a close working relationship with the emergency department, and many of the local physicians have come to appreciate that we don't steal their patients and we provide services to their patients when they're not available. Some of them even have on their answer um, machine, you know, if we're not available or foreclosed, please call Ubidox and they, they have our number on their outgoing message. The plan was to continue working at Ubidox, but now that the doors have closed, what's next for your family? I know that you're both in healthcare. You have a daughter who's a, a physician. What happens next? Well, she was planning on um, moving to the community from Reno, where she works in urgent care and uh, working at Ubidox. She is still moving to the community, and she and Dr. Andrea Harris and Trevor Nichols, physician assistant, and I will be working at Dignity Health Medical Foundation. Uh, For the time being, that's going to be over on the Sierra College facility. It's on the left as you approach Briar Patch. It's on the left before uh, the roundabout as you approach from uh, you know, Nevada City Highway. It's a building on the left sort of down below Sierra College. Um, so we're going to be working there. We'll be doing same-day appointments and we will be doing workers' comp. Uh, then the plan is in July, there will be a larger We'll have our own space uh, over by the hospital on Margaret Lane, um, where the urology clinic is now. And then we'll be adding um, employment physicals and uh, the other occupational medicine services. Dr. Hicks, before we wrap this up, is there anything that you would like to say to the community after 23 years of service? I understand that you're going to continue, albeit in a different capacity. Is there anything that you would say? Well, this whole thing has been very disappointing for Linda and me and for our employees and the community. Um, We appreciate the support that we've had over the years from the community and um, from our employees. Uh, We couldn't have done it without all of them. And um, the outpouring of support as, as we tried to you know, pull this thing together at the end. There was a letter that circulated in the community signed by, you know, in 24 hours signed by over 300 people. Um, and we appreciate that. It seems to me that the closure of the clinic was unnecessary. It, it could have been avoided, but it wasn't. So after 23 years, now there is no full service urgent care in Western Nevada County. I'm confident there will be one again someday, Um, hopefully not in the not-too-distant future. And um, we just want to thank, again, our employees and all the community members who have supported us over the years and who we've been able to help with their urgent medical needs over the years. You can hear a longer version of this interview at kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And now... Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, observations from a working poet. Sometimes I go to a cafe with a friend to write, but today we're at her house. We set a timer for 25 minutes and just write in our separate worlds. When it rings, we're allowed to talk or get more coffee for five minutes, whatever. 
Then we do it again. Tomorrow, she's flying to Switzerland. Next week, I'm driving to Ukiah. That pretty much sums up the difference in our careers. And yet, here on the two couches in her living room, we're doing the same thing, scrawling into our notebooks. In Geneva, she'll talk to people and visit a factory, gathering information for an article she's writing. Her work is going to be based on what she learns and does there, as well as her imagination and general experience. At the Grace Hudson Museum in Ukiah, I'll be reading poems I've already written, some as long as 20 years ago. My work begins in imagination and experience, but then unfolds mysteriously. I rarely know what my subject is before I start. When you commission me to write on a particular topic, the library's new amphitheater, as I did when I was Poet Laureate, the result can be stilted. Both of these approaches are fun, and both can also be a slog. It depends on the day, which is true of most work. We're lucky if there's any fun in it at all, and we hope the slogging parts are either short-lived or not too awful. The labor activists I know are now rolling their eyeballs because it's so much more complicated than that, so I better change the subject. My friend's pen just ran out of ink, and she threw it across the room, which startled me. It wasn't a violent act, more in a good grief kind of way. A toss, a useless object flung aside. She has other pens on the sofa beside her, and having picked one of those up, went back to writing. I haven't flung anything across a room since 2004. It was a paperback copy of Outlander, which I thought was such drivel I couldn't read another word. My best flinging experience by far, as some of you know, was lobbing an ugly plate into Newtown Road one fine spring day when I was suddenly furious with the man I was seeing. Lord, it felt good. Up in the air, clearing the fence, and kapow, the sound of smithereens is so therapeutic. Also the physical act, thought and wind up nearly simultaneous, the release with all your shoulders power behind it, your wrist flicking at the last moment as your fingers let go. It's athletic. I can see how people become enthralled with discus throwing and the innocent-looking frisbee. We should start having plate-throwing parties, all the crockery that ends up at thrift stores and, let's be frank, is just plain hideous, even if your great-grandmother loved it. Outdoor exercise so you wouldn't need a mask. Camaraderie and fellowship. It would save a bundle on psychiatric bills and divorce mediation. It's also silly enough that, like pickleball, it might go viral. People are not focusing seriously enough on silliness in these times. It's a real problem. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for Thursday, April 13th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from MEC Builds, Nevada County roofing contractor with over 20 years of experience. 
providing complete roofing services, gutter products, sun tunnels, and skylights. The showroom is at 316 Colfax Avenue in Grass Valley, mecbuilds.com, and Serenos at Main Street, serving Italian cuisine since 1983. Open Wednesday through Sunday, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. for lunch and dinner. Offering private dining snugs available for customer safety and comfort. Information, serenosatmainstreet.com. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Friday for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.